Welcome to the podcast of Seven Rivers Presbyterian Church in Lakanto, Florida. Our passion is to be a church that enjoys God, experiences His grace, and reflects His love to our community and beyond. To join our local body in financial support of this ministry, visit our website at sevenrivers.org. Let me just say um, an interesting word before we dig into the scripture. You know, our our school enrollment has just blown up. Um, um, Last year when we started school, we had 480 kids. I think the most we'd ever had in our school is 510. This year, we're beginning with over 570 children. Um, and And you might ask why. Well, State vouchers is a big part. People can afford it. Um, certainly, um, the way our school handled COVID um, uh, found you know great um, appreciation from the, the parents um, through that last uh, most difficult year. Reputation for stellar um, education and and uh, the, the the spirit and and work of the faculty and staff. But there's another reason. There's a sense in which people are um, feeling that the foundations of our culture are eroding, right? And, uh, and those, so there's a part of parents seeking the ancient paths, um, the sense that um, though they may not know Jesus themselves, they're actually drawn to the church to educate their children because there's, there's, there's a whiff of memory almost, isn't there? That, uh, that, that we have to anchor our children to something solid or we are not doing right by them uh, going forward. So uh, that's what we're talking about the next five weeks. Um, what is a Christian? What is the ancient path that would call, draw people to Jesus? So stand if you're able. We're going to read Ephesians um, chapter 2, verses 1 through 9, and then one verse from 1 John uh, chapter 3. Paul's writing to the church in, uh, in Ephesus. Um, in modern day Turkey is, uh, is Ephesus. You can go there and you can see what a grand city this was. This is what Paul writes to the church um, there. This would have been a pagan city. As a matter of fact, they had the largest pagan um, temple in the ancient world. The pagan to the goddess Diana. Um, and uh, Paul writes to the Christians, you were dead in the trespasses uh, in your pe- trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath, like all the rest of mankind. And then probably the most powerful two words in all the Bible come next. Ephesians chapter two, verse four. After that description of our dreadful condition come these two words, but God, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. 
But God raised us up with him and seated us with Christ in the heavenly places so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable. If you're a sports fan, perhaps if you're not a sports fan, which you know, I don't know what's the matter with you, but um, <laughs> there was a, a baseball game played and it's the first uh, professional baseball game ever played in the state of Iowa. First major league baseball game ever stayed in, in Dyersville, um, Iowa. And maybe you watched it. It was on Thursday night. It's, it's the most watched uh, broadcast of a baseball game. Uh, not, not World Series, but a regular season game in, in 16 years. Um, garnered tremendous attention. So what were they doing? The Yankees and the White Sox uh, played in a cornfield in the middle of nowhere in Iowa. Well, if you, if, you, if you know something about movies and you know about 30 years ago or so, they made a movie called Field of Dreams, right? And Field of Dreams was the story of an Iowa uh, corn farmer uh, from Dyersville, Iowa. And, uh, and he had, a, he's 36 years old, Ray Kinsella had a um, wound in his heart. His wound was that um, his father had died and he had never been reconciled to his father. And, uh, and now there was no reconciliation, right? There was no hope. His father was gone. It's a deep wound that he carried. And uh, Ray Kinsella started hearing um, uh, voices, right? Telling him, and, and many of you know what he heard, right? If you, if you build it, they will come, right? If you build it, they will come. And of course, the idea of that dream is um, ultimately, is, so he did, he built a, a baseball field out in the middle of his farm, on the, uh, in the middle of the corn. And of course, what was anticipated was that um, ultimately is that um, all former pros like Shoeless Joe Jackson um, would, would, would come and, and, uh, and play there and some of their ignominy and shame would be washed away. They would come and, uh, and sure enough, it comes to pass. By the way, James Earl Jones is in this movie. So if you hate baseball, you hate Kevin Costner, whatever, James Earl Jones is in this movie. Just listen to his voice. It'll resurrect the dead, you know? So um, um, out, of the, out of the corn, indeed, comes um, Shoeless Joe and other uh, of, the, of the greats of baseball lore. Um, and unbeknownst to Ray Kinsella, one of them is uh, his father. And because uh, his father's a catcher and he's in the gear and he can't see. And they play a game right there on the farm. It's, it's uh, magical. And then when the game is over and the players start to drift back into the, the corn, the catcher takes his mask off and uh, son sees his dad. And they get to connect and they get to talk. See, field of what? Dreams. That's the dream. That's the dream of the dreams. It's not Shoeless Joe. It's his daddy. And when his father turns and, and, and begins to go like the others, Ray Kinsella chokes out the words that have been caught in the throat since he was a little boy. Hey, dad, want to have a catch? A father, a son who wanted to play catch, throw the baseball with his dad to revisit his childhood to heal old wounds. You see, that's the deepest dream of the human heart. Because once we had a dad, once we knew our dad, the Bible says there's eternity in every heart. 
but we're separated from him. And that's brought ruin. It's brought ruin to everything. So we're gonna talk about that. How do we become beloved children, reconciled to the God who made us? Before we can wonder at that, we have to actually experience the, the separation. We have to talk about what happened, right? Because you'll never marvel at the intervention and mercy if you don't see just how bad things were. You know, you get a little cut on your finger and uh, they, they put a little neosporin on it, your parent does, and they put a bandage on it. You don't tell people your whole life, that changed my life. When my mom put neosporin in that cut and, and put a Band-Aid on, you know, that was a life-changing moment. That's not what you talk about. But that car accident you had on the turnpike where you were pinned in the car and the car caught on fire and you couldn't extricate yourself and somebody bravely dove right in there and dragged you out of that car, right? That's a story you tell your whole life because somebody intervened when you needed it the most. So the, the, our condition has to be bad for the intervention to be amazing. So let's go there together. You got an outline? Here we go. Point one, what's our pathology? That's how um, Paul starts the passage, doesn't he? Those first couple verses are, are pretty rough. You know what he says in those first couple verses? He says, you're not spiritually messed up. You're not spiritually misguided. You're not spiritually weak. You're not spiritually impaired. Um, you're not spiritually deluded. What does he say? You're spiritually dead. Dead in your trespasses and sins. You were dead in your trespasses uh, and sins. That was our condition. The Bible tells us that at the beginning we had a choice. We could walk with God. Gave us a garden. He gave us paradise. He gave us everything a heart could long for. He was there with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. It was awesome. It was awesome on awesome. But there was a choice. And the choice was you can do life with God or you can do life on your own. And we made the choice. We divorced God. We chose autonomy. We put God in the rear view mirror. And the result is death, spiritual death, physical death, death to culture, death to families, death to nations. Take a scan around our world today. Cast your eyes on Kabul, Afghanistan and the plight of women in that country in the days to come. Death. We walked away from God. Not only are we dead, but we're disobedient. You know what it says? It says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world. We followed the course of this world. Following the prince of the power of the air. That's the devil. The spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience. We're called the sons and daughters of disobedience. Obedience, how'd you like that to be your name? Daughter of disobedience, son of disobedience. That's what we are. That's what the Bible says. You could say, I don't like this, pastor. Tell us some good stuff. Well, the good stuff's not good. It's not sweet. If we don't know our condition, if we're not willing to face it. You know, the theologians said we, are, we became, our, our sin ruined us so we became non posse, non picare. I love Latin. It makes me feel superior to other people. 
non posse, non pecare, that it is not possible not to sin. We are corrupted by um, sin. You know, we're disobedient, we're defiant. Um, God is not God. We are God. We have taken the place of authority. We defy his authority. And we know this in a thousand ways, right? We see it in our culture. God says, I make them male and female. But we live in a day in which a male can say, no, no, I want to be a female. I'm a female. I choose female. I am female. No, no, no to God, right? God can say sex is designed for the covenant of marriage, not outside. No, 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 no. It's amazing. The statistics are staggering. They're brutal and they're heartbreaking. Don't point the finger at the world and say, yeah, yeah, they don't follow the mores of the Bible. No, 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 no. No, the children of the church, more than half of them will easily, way more than half of them will easily be sexually active um, before marriage. Very clear what God has told us. But we say, no, 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 no. You, you don't understand. You're not in charge. I'm in charge. God says, I give you, when I give you much, I want you to be liberal with it and give it to other people. No. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. The Lord's day. I give you this day as a gift. Come and meet with each other. Come and give me worship. No, 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 no. Because Disney's open on Sunday. Travel uh, volleyball on Sunday. No, no. No, right? We are sons of disobedience. We're smarter than God. Um, We're spiritually dead. We're disobedient. We're corrupt. Um, We have a fallen nature. That's what it says here. We are by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Body and mind are corrupted. Um, We are profoundly self-centered we not only have rejected God, but we've replaced God with something we find more beautiful, uh, more authoritative, more trustworthy, ourselves, right? Do you know that more than 50% of pictures taken now are selfies? I mean, why wouldn't you take a picture of the most beautiful thing in the world? Um, we are, Luther said, Martin Luther said, not Luther Vandross, Martin Luther said, our hearts are in curvetous and say, more Latin, curved in on themselves. Our hearts are incurvitous and say curved in on themselves. The author Donald Miller said the most difficult lie that he has to contend with, with people is this. Life is a story about me. Life is a story about me. We hear this everywhere today. I have to discover my authentic self, right? I have to be true to myself. Uh, Myself uh, is, is what it's all about. Honoring who I truly am. Um, do you know that the majority of people who go to church in America, they do so not to be about the mission of God, but to get God committed to, the, to their mission. And their mission is their personal well-being. And so they go to church and they pray and they, they, they obey and they do what they should But there's understood it's a quid pro quo. God had better come through with his part. And we know that. We know that because of what happens when God doesn't come through. So a pastor friend told me a a couple in his church, they were the ideal couple. They were the textbook um, couple. They were, uh, he was a lawyer. They they were good-looking, delightful, committed Christians in church all the time, small group in their house, raising their children well, 
oldest uh, um, son was a gifted musician. Their daughter was a, the hot top scorer on the basketball team. Um, she was, uh, their, 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 their little uh, son was great at music and sports. I mean, they had, it, uh, they had it all going on. And then she got breast cancer at 38 years old. And they were sitting in the pastor's office and they said, this is not right. We have been faithful to God. We have done what God has said. We have honored God. We have followed God. We have professed God. This is wrong. God owes us better than this. And that was it. They were gone. You see, because apparently sometimes God doesn't understand, right? He doesn't understand his job. And if he doesn't serve us correctly, we cut him loose, right? We are profoundly corrupted. And we are condemned. What does it say? We are children of wrath. Our natural condition is that we are not beloved. We are the objects of God's wrath. You know, the Bible says something beautiful. If God be for you, who can be against you? But consider the opposite side of that coin, right? If God be against you, then who could be for you? What would it matter that anybody else is for you? I mean, listen, as a little child, I grew up knowing this much. I may not have gotten the gospel. I certainly didn't understand the Bible in the richest, uh, in all its rich complexity. In fact, I still don't. I'm still growing and learning. But as a little child, even, I remember thinking, I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to be on God's bad side. I don't want to lay my head on my pillow at night and have God against me because what does it matter? What else matters? If God's against you, who could be for you? Who would want to live in this world with the creator? Not on your side. So, you know, are you willing to, are you willing to own the truth? Some of us would say, well, I get it. Look at the Taliban. Look at, uh, look at China oppressing, committing genocide on the Uyghur people. This summer I read... Uh, um, um, Frederick Douglass, the autobiography of Frederick Douglass that he wrote shortly after escaping from slavery in 1850s, before the conclusion even of the, the Civil War. I mean, you read that book and you said, how could we have been such, how could we have been such, so blind? How, how could we have been such brutes? How could we have been so evil? I recommend that you read it. It's not the people out there and say, this is who I am if there's not an intervention, right? It is the greatest kindness of God that allows us to see the folly of divorcing him. We were made for God. and We walk away. People don't fare well when they're orphans, when they're lost, when they're alone, when they're blind in this world, right? You know what Martin Luther said? It's a good thing when you see who you are because God receives none but those who are forsaken. He restores health to none but those who are sick. He gives sight to none but the blind and life to none but the dead. He has mercy on none but the wretched and gives grace to none but those who are in disgrace. There's mercy. There's mercy for the dead. There's mercy for the condemned and the corrupt. There's mercy. 
Bob Kuchenberg played guard for the Miami Dolphins in their heyday of winning Super Bowls. Bob Kuchenberg was a tough sort. He's from Gary, Indiana, Steel Town, Hobart, Indiana. He went to college at Notre Dame. He was the first person in his family ever to go to college. They said, how'd you end up going to college? Nobody in your family went to college. You didn't have a template that that's something you grow up and do. Why'd you go to college? He said, my dad and my uncle were carnival workers. He said that they were um, human cannonballs. They were rocket men. They got shot out of the cannon into a net. And then one day they shot my uncle out of the cannon. He missed the net and hit the Ferris wheel. That's the day I decided to go to college, right? It is a mercy of God when we can see the, 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 the way of, of, uh, of life apart from God, how brutal it is, how empty it is, how barren it is. And we say, no, no, living on my own is just stupid. I need, I need that mercy, right? So there it is first, that's our pathology, but second, the intervention, the two greatest words in the Bible, right? I mean, how do we go from being dead, disobedient, condemned and corrupt to beloved? The answer is two words, but God. But God would not leave his creation in such a place, the love of God. He could have destroyed us all. He did it once, right? Certainly what we deserved. Couldn't anybody look at the earth now and say, let's just start over? But God, but God intervenes. What does it say uh, in verse four? But God being rich in mercy because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive. He made us alive together with Christ. So that should throw us, who did he make alive in the Bible? He made Jesus alive. Jesus was dead physically. He made him alive like Jesus, he will make us alive, spiritually alive. And then it says the most uh, amazing thing. It says, he'll raise us with Jesus and seat us with Jesus in the heavenly places. Now, what does that mean? It's an, it's an analogy that they would have understood in the ancient world to be seated uh, next to the king. When did that happen? When there was a great military conquest, the military came back and uh, leading the military would be the general, would be the war hero. The war hero wouldn't be in the king's family. He wouldn't be the king's son. He wouldn't be royalty. He might even be a commoner. And yet because he was the great victor, the war hero, he would be seated next to the king. He would have, he would have the glory uh, of the king. So... Who's the king? God. Who's the hero? Jesus. And we're seated there too. Wonder of wonders, right? The condemned, the corrupt, the dead, seated as, um, as the beloved. Um, listen, it's almost unthinkable. How, does it, how do traitors to God, how do people thumb their nose at God end up with such um, status? How, 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 how do you become beautiful? One word, for by grace, grace, for by grace you are rescued. For by grace, what's grace? Grace is unmerited favor. 
I've been asking people for years. If you, Every person who's ever joined this church gets asked this question in the pastor's class. So, you die and you stand before God. And he says, why should you, I let you into heaven? It's amazing. People say, I, 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 I was good. I tried. I've been a good Christian. I've done this. I've done that. There is no I in this. Grace is unmerited. Unmerited favor. It's favor given to the least of these. It's favor in which you contribute nothing. What does it say? This is not your own doing. For grace you've been saved through faith. It's not your own doing. It is the gift of God. It is not as a result of works. You contribute nothing. We don't like that. We don't like taking help from people. We'll take care of ourselves. No, no, no. It's all grace. All grace. So what stands between us and God that we couldn't get rid of? Our guilt, right? Our guilt. We defied God. We committed cosmic treason against the Lord of heaven and earth. Guilt. The wages of sin is what? God, right from the beginning, said, if you don't do what I tell you to do to our first parents, you shall surely what? You shall surely die. This is a capital offense. God is more holy than we have a clue. We are more wretched than we have a clue. How do we reconcile? Jesus does it for us. But God, but God put on flesh, came into the world in the presence of his son. And he goes to the, remember what John the Baptist said about Jesus when he first saw Jesus? He said, behold the what? The lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. A lamb Behold the lamb. This is, of course, a Jewish reference. It's an Old Testament reference. It's a Passover reference. God is going to destroy all the firstborn of the Egyptians, all the firstborn uh, sons of the Israelites. But God tells his people, if you're willing to put your faith in me, then you go get a lamb. Don't get the lame lamb. Don't get the lamb with scurvy. Get your best, your prize, without spot or blemish, and kill the lamb execute the lamb, take its blood, put it on your house, and death will pass you over. Jesus is the lamb. Jesus dies a hideous death. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why did God forsake him? Because he was the lamb. Because Jesus was guilty. Jesus was guilty because our guilt was placed on him. He was our substitute. That's what Jesus does. That's the intervention. But you know what? That still doesn't make us beautiful to God. You know, a judge can bang the gavel and say, not guilty, and turn you loose from the courtroom. And if that happens, get up and run out of there before he changes his mind, right? I mean, that is a day of all days to celebrate. But you know what it doesn't mean? It means he declares you not guilty and the consequences that could have fallen on you don't. And maybe it's more like the Bible picture and the judge actually pays the penalty instead of you. That'd be grand too. But you know what? That doesn't mean the judge loves you because you're forgiven. Doesn't mean he loves you. Doesn't mean he adopts you. Doesn't mean he makes you his son. How does that happen? How do we become beautiful? Because you know what the Bible says? Jesus doesn't just take our sins away. It's not just that our sins are given to Jesus and he bears responsibility for them. 
But Jesus does something else. He lives such a beautiful life. He keeps every law, every commandment. He is everything we were supposed to be. And you know what the Bible says? Everything that Jesus did that is attributed to us, our sins to him, his, big word, righteousness is given to us. His righteousness. That's why the apostle Paul could say in Philippians chapter three, that I might be found in Jesus, not having a righteousness of my own. If you belong to God and you're a beloved child, you don't have any righteousness of your own. You didn't produce it. Yeah, I know you're better than Charles Manson. You know, I know you're better than Osama bin Laden. I know you're better than your next door neighbor or whoever else you compare yourself to. But so what? You don't have the righteousness you need. Jesus produced that. He kept every law of God. He lived the beautiful life. And guess what? You get credit for it. So God can look at his son and say, my beloved, my beloved, that's my boy. And he can say that to you. A little girl came up to me after camp. I was a speaker at high school camp one year and only one year. I think they decided that that wasn't a good idea. And, and, um, but this girl came up to me. I was teaching this very thing and she came up so filled with enthusiasm. Like only a you know, 16 year old girl could. She was just all wired up at what she'd heard. And she said, I get it, I get it, I get it, pastor. She said, because I've been living my life to, to please me. It's been about me. But now I'm gonna live my life to please God. And that's be my longing every day. At the end of the day, God could look at the way I lived that day and he would be pleased with me. I got it, pastor, I got it. I said, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, you, not yet. I said, it's great that you wanna live to please yourself, but you know what? Somebody's accomplished what you can't accomplish because you'll never live any day of your life in such a way that God would, uh, you know, that, that it would uh, be righteous. Jesus is your righteousness. I want you to get up every day and not go out into the world and try to please God in hopes that he'll be pleased with you. I want you to get up every day and realize that Jesus lived that life for you. He gives you his righteousness. So before you've done anything good or bad, he's pleased with you. You don't earn it. That's what the Bible says, right? That's grace. There's no merit. Jesus did it. Jesus paid it all. So what do we do? So what do we do in response? I saw this um, uh, little video not long ago, kind of cute, kind of ominous. Um, in this video, uh, there's a cruise ship and people like taking an excursion. They're in some kind of uh, rubber craft, you know, scooting around. They're, it's in Antarctica and they're going by, you know, glaciers and icebergs and, and, uh, and there's orcas. They went to see the orcas. And uh, they're, they're in a little boat and the orcas are as big as the boat. And, uh, and then all of a sudden there's a penguin and the penguin is swimming very fast because the orcas are interested in the penguin. It's just a snack, but they're hungry. And, um, and you're about to, those people are gonna about to witness nature in a way they probably don't wanna witness nature, right? That cute little penguin is, uh, is gonna be a snack. And, uh, and that penguin is terrified. And you see it coming out of the water and racing away. And, uh, and the orcas get closer and closer. And I, I mean, if, I could see people on the boat. And all of a sudden, the penguin makes this desperate leap into the boat. 
Well, that's what you should do. Get in the boat. The Bible calls it the ark, doesn't it? Protected from judgment. Go to Jesus. Go to Jesus and ask for mercy. Mercy. He'll be so delighted to give it. Do it today. Why another day in your life in the folly of being separated from your dad? And that's really the last point, you know? What happens when you get reconciled to dad? It really changes everything. In fact, one of the things it allows you to do is because you've been loved with such a great love, but God, you love others. It's been part of the beautiful thing of watching people in our church suffer so with COVID. It's watch other people serve them, rally around them, cook meals for them, pray for them, help them. So proud of you guys. Receive, those who receive a great love actually start to love in beautiful ways. I saw this this week. Ernie Johnson's a noted sportscaster, TBS, is a basketball show with Shaquille O'Neal and Charles Barkley. And you might not know that he is a, a wonderful Christian. He has six children. Two were naturally born. That was it, enough for him. He's got a very busy life. But his wife saw an ABC program on Romanian orphans and how they were just warehoused, particularly the handicapped. She said to her husband, we gotta find out if we can do anything about this. Let's go, let's go adopt a Romanian orphan. Not only did they do that, they've adopted three others. They have six kids now, four adopted. But that boy they adopted from Romania, he had muscular dystrophy, severely neglected, severely handicapped. This week, Nick Saban asked him to speak to the University of Alabama football team, and here's a part of what Ernie Johnson had to say about that boy. The nurse who handed this boy to her, you know what, you know what she said? She said, don't take this boy, he's no good. Can you imagine? And I said, bring him home. He gets diagnosed with muscular dystrophy, which a lot of kids don't make it out of their teens when you got that, because your muscles don't grow, they waste away. The coach with less hair than me, a guy named Phil Bolier. Michael, at this point, is in high school. See, this coach knows what I know. He knows there's value in everybody. He said, I want him to be my five-foot-tall impact player with no vertical leap. He said, because I see value in him. Because the day I met him, I followed him into his classroom. I had a conversation with him, and Michael doesn't communicate well. And he has a kind of a rain man kind of memory. So if he meets you, you tell him what you drive, he'll never forget it. So he has this great memory, but he also has this three words he loves to say. And you don't have to say it to him first. He just says, love you too. This is from a kid who didn't speak until he was eight. So Phil Bolier asked if he could be on his basketball team so he could teach his team two things. Maximum effort for Michael to move any muscle in his body. Takes everything he's got. And he said, I want him to teach my team having a heart for others. And that heart for others runs deep. Where you can lock eyes with the teammates and say, I'd do anything for you. I would do anything for you. He teaches all of his students how to say I love you in sign language. He says, and, and, and look, if you, if you tip your index finger at the other person, it means love you too. 
so that on senior night, Michael goes out last, my wife and I follow his wheelchair out there, like the other players, people are standing and applauding. But unlike the other players, I look up in the student section and they're standing like this. Because this kid, this Romanian orphan, and this coach from Indiana somehow got together in a gym in Brazelton, Georgia, and taught this huge school about love. Remember, don't take this boy, he's no good. Right. So this handicapped boy teaches his school how to love. Where did he learn how to love? Ernie Johnson bathes that boy every morning. His mother can't do it. He's too big. He's done it for years and years and years. Every morning, he's the one that takes care of him, feeds him. He's poured his life into this kid. Having received great... They plucked him out of an orphanage in Romania. He was dead. He was condemned. He had no future, no hope. But he was rescued. That's our story. You own that? Because a great love received produces love, comes out of us. And not only that, we actually start to experience security. So many of us struggle with insecurity, anxiety, depending on relationships, other people, success, our appearance to feel valued. Maya Angelou, I love what she said. You know, Maya Angelou didn't speak till she was eight years old, much like Michael. She said, I believe that there was a God because I was told it by my grandmother, later by others, but when I found out that I was a child of God, when I internalized that and ingested that, I became courageous. Learning you're a child of God give you a new security. I know that. Um, last um, Sunday, I got to speak in a church that I was a member of 40 years ago. And um, my parents, it was their church. I went there when I was in college. My parents left that church. They moved to another community 30 years ago. So none of us have been there forever. And when I walked out on Sunday night after I was done, the service was still going on, but I wanted to go sit with my wife after I'd spoken. And, and so as I walked all the way to the back of the room, a man stepped out of the aisle and he reached me and, and he looked me in the face and he said, I knew your dad. And he said, watching you preach up there, you know what I was thinking? Man, he would be so proud of you. I'm 63 years old. That was the best part of the night for me. You know what? If you belong to Jesus, you know what I mean, don't you? Because the way he feels about, the way that God feels about his son is the way he feels about his sons and daughters. So hear him, friend. You are my beloved child. You have no idea how proud of you I am. What's a Christian? A beloved child of God. Amen.
bow your head. If you're still separated from God, maybe, maybe it feels like you just drifted away. Maybe it feels like you didn't even make a choice, but may, maybe you did make a choice. Maybe you remember saying, I'm going to the far country. I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to follow. Maybe you're not sure how you got there, but, but you know that it has been right between you and God. I just want to give you a chance this morning. Why not? Why not right now? And if you're not ready now, why not at two o'clock this afternoon or tomorrow? But why not right now? Say, God, I want to come home. I want the mercy. I want grace. I'll never earn my way back. The stuff I have done, I deserve judgment. I want mercy. And ask him. He loves to grant grace. And he will give it to you. But God, how we thank you. Amen. Let's stand and sing as we celebrate the really unfathomable being children, beloved of God. listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Seven Rivers, please visit our website at sevenrivers.org.